0: Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our discipleship pastor, Adam Scott. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a seat. Man, even when we don't see it, God is working. Make some noise if you believe in the Waymaker, the Miracle Worker, the Promise Keeper today. He is the light in the darkness. That's what we're talking about all month long. He is lighting up Baldwin County through Northridge Christian Church. He's using us to shine his light on the community. That's what these thousand acts of kindness are all about. We've hit the 800 mark. That's huge. Let me tell you some of the highlights, some of the things that our church has done. You see, we've had people that have gone in and they've purchased food for those little food pantries that you can find around town. They've provided food for friends and neighbors and people that are in need. Um, We've had people that have done sheetrock work. They've cut grass. They've repaired doors for people. They've picked up trash in neighborhoods. They have even showed up at the hospital to pray on the steps outside for people that are battling COVID in this season. Listen, we even had one person that rescued a deer, okay? This is huge. We are doing amazing things, and I'm so excited about it. Listen, we're praying that even though we're approaching the end of August, and this is not just a month-long initiative. You see, our goal, our heart, our prayer is that this act of kindness, this initiative would become something that defines us as a church from this point forward. That every person that moves to Milledgeville to go to Georgia College, that every person that steps foot in this county would see and experience the love of God because we are committed to shine. His light in the world around us. That sound pretty good? All right, that's what it's all about. Now listen, but like a storm cloud on a beach trip, okay, there is one thing that threatens our success in this area. You see, there's something that even if we do all the rest of this stuff right, there is something the Bible says will jeopardize every single step we're taking throughout this act of kindness initiative. Let me show you what it is. First John chapter 2 verse 9. It says, "Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness." You see what John is talking about here is he's talking about a deep-seated disdain or a hostility towards another person, a prejudice that causes us to look down on other people. You see what he says, is even if you hit a thousand acts of kindness, Even if you double it, even if you triple it, even if it becomes the defining characteristic of Northridge Christian Church, it all adds up to nothing unless we root out and eradicate any hatred that we have in our heart. Listen, this is an important subject. And the reason this is such an important subject for us right now is because as a nation, we have seen the flames of prejudice Racism and hatred stoked again and again and again. You see, we've seen and experienced racially motivated hatred in our world today. It's being talked about on the news. It's being debated on every single social media platform out there right now. Listen, it is infested, uh, infecting our schools, our classrooms, even some of our churches Now listen, you may think that its presence is all-encompassing and even systematic, or you may believe that it's isolated and rare. But either way, we can all agree on one thing. Any act of hatred, any act of racism and prejudice is too much to leave unchecked. It's sin, it's deadly, and it is inexcusable for God's people. See, what John says right here, he says, listen, as believers, you and I together, as a church, as the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to root out and eradicate every single instance of it. You see, what he says right here is that, that, that addressing this issue, confronting racism is not only social justice, confronting racism is a religious obligation. It is something we have to do. Historically speaking, listen, the church has been the most effective organization of all time at bridging the gap between different people groups. You see, if you were to to look at the church across the world, you would find more diversity in the church of Jesus Christ than you would find in any other organization that has ever existed in the history of the world. Why? Because we have the privilege And the responsibility of calling all people under a banner that is larger than their culture, larger than their status, larger than their upbringing, larger than their ethnicity. See, we have an opportunity to bring people under the banner of Jesus Christ that brings unity out of diversity. Here's a sermon and a sentence. I want you to write this down, commit it to memory, focus on it this week. Jesus is the banner under which unity and diversity both thrive. Both of those things thrive together. Church is a place where hatred and dominance yield to love and togetherness. Listen, this morning we're going to walk through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is all about the establishment and the expansion of the early church. And I think some of you may be surprised to see how prominent of an issue this is in the book of Acts. We're only going to be able to hit the highlights this morning because we're on a limited amount of time. But if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see over and over and over that God reveals his heart on this issue. And he gives us a blueprint as a church that exists in the year 2021 to tackle this issue, to overcome it and to make a difference in the world around us. So that's what we're going to do today. Let's, Let's pray before we dive into the text. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us books of the Bible that dive into issues that we face today. I thank you that your word is alive and that it speaks not only to the people 2,000 years ago, God, but to the people today that are struggling, that are hurting, that are in need of your intervention And so God, I pray that right now as we dive into the book of Acts, as we unpack some of the things that are prevalent in that book, God, open our hearts to the things you want us to see and help us to apply it to our lives so that we can live the way you want us to live. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so one of the first problems that the church experiences in the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter six. And what's happening in Acts chapter six is the fact that there is a Hebrew group of widows and then there is a Hellenistic group of widows. Now, basically both groups are Jewish people, but one is a little more Jewish than the other. You see one group of people, the Hellenistic Jews, they had, they had embraced Greek culture and Greek language. And as a result, they felt like they were being overlooked Because of who they were. Now, this happened all before the church ever began to expand its barriers beyond that local region, and they're already beginning to struggle with this tension among people groups. As you can imagine, this is only going to grow, this is only going to get worse as the church begins to grow and to expand. You see, there's a persecution that happens in the church and the Christians are forced out of their comfort zone and they take the name of Jesus Christ with them everywhere they go. And as they go, they reach a group of people that are particularly responsive to the message of Jesus Christ. The only problem is that this group of people were called Samaritans. Now, what you need to know about Samaritans is that they were referred to by the Jews as half-breeds. was a little pet name they had for them. They called them half-breeds because they were Jewish people who had intermarried and repopulated with non-Jewish people. You see, the hatred was so strong between these two groups that a lot of times the Jewish people, if they were traveling through Samaria, they they would not go through Samaria. They would go all the way around Samaria just so they didn't have to be in the vicinity of this this group of people that they hated. You know, the story of the Good Samaritan is probably one that's familiar to most of you. The reason Jesus tells that story is because the idea of a Good Samaritan was completely shocking to the people who originally heard it. You see, the decision of the Samaritan people to turn to Jesus, it created tension in the church. There's so many things that we could highlight in the story of Acts that that would speak to this issue. But if we fast forward to Acts chapter 10, we see that God steps in And he definitively decides how the church is supposed to behave amidst this tension, amidst this turmoil, amidst this bias that these Jewish Christians felt in their hearts. You see, in Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to the roof. He's the leader of the church at this point. He is the one that God is using to accomplish amazing things. And he's struggling with this in his heart. And so God speaks to him through a vision. And this is what it says in Acts 10 verses 11 through 15. Peter, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. God's heart is clear to us now, right? (laughs) Not quite so much. You see, this vision was repeated three times so that Peter would understand what Jesus, what God was trying to teach him. I had to read it even more than three times so that I could understand what was really going on. But it turns out this lesson wasn't really about food at all. You see, this lesson was about the inclusion of all people into the church. You see, this lesson was to demonstrate to Peter that, Peter, you have a bias. Peter, you think you're honoring God with that bias, but nothing could be farther from the truth. You see, what God declares through this experience is that no person is unclean. No person is inferior. No person is unable for any reason to be brought under the banner of Jesus Christ. You see, God calls Peter to set the example God calls Peter to model his heart for all people to experience the good news of Jesus Christ and what it was he had done for them. See, we don't have to wait long to find out how Peter is gonna respond because at that particular moment, God gives him an opportunity to live out this principle that he talks to him about. There's three Gentile people that show up at the door. Gentiles were basically anybody who's not Jewish, including the Samaritan people. There were three Gentiles that show up at the door. Peter goes with them, and after spending some time with them, he makes this statement in Acts 10, 28. He says, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me through this vision that he just experienced that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. He goes on a few verses later to say this. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You see, what Peter says here, this is huge. He says, I have a bias. He says, I have prejudice in my heart. He says, but God's heart is clear on this issue, and I'm allowing his heart to guide my." Actions. Listen, right after this, there were some other Christians that challenged Peter, but Peter said, No, I'm not wavering in this at all because God's plan is clear. God loves all people, and so will I. Listen, there's two lessons that I think you and I need to take away from this story that will challenge us and allow us to apply the story just like Peter did after he had the vision. The first one is this prejudice is a difficult hurdle for most of us. Prejudice is a difficult hurdle for most of us. You see, even good Christians who literally physically walk with Jesus can struggle with this issue. Even good Christians who lead worldwide movements to change the world can struggle with the sin of prejudice. You see, Peter's story isn't the story of an evil person that God struck down, but a good man who God used mightily. Peter showed partiality until God stepped in to change his heart. Peter was not immune and neither are we. Prejudice of some kind is a difficult hurdle for most of us. Listen, when I was a kid, my parents had a rule. They said, you don't sleep past 10 a.m. Anybody have a similar rule in their house? Okay, no, just me, all right. They used to tell me, I said, we're not lazy people. We don't sleep in past 10 o'clock. And so on those days where I didn't have anything to do, I would try, but I had a rude awakening at 10 o'clock in the morning telling me it was time to get up and do something. Well, this past week, I got up and I took my kids to school and then I had a migraine. I was nauseous, my head was pounding. And so I went home, I went right back to bed and I woke up at 10.30, Now get this, I woke up and I looked at the clock. I'm 34 years old and I panicked because I thought I was in trouble because I was sleeping in. Listen, even though I know that it was appropriate and even beneficial to sleep in, even though I'm a grown man who can do what I want to do, I'm still a product of my upbringing and I'm still a product of my experiences. Listen, the same is true for all of us in so many other areas. Our upbringing and our experiences, they create a bias and they create a comfort zone. And let me tell you something. This is the vulnerable area that Satan will exploit to make division the enemy of unity. This is the vulnerable area that Satan will exploit to make division the enemy of unity. Whether you say it or not, some people believe all black people are this. Or they believe all white people are that. Or somebody is less than you because they are different than you. Maybe your prejudice takes on a different form. Maybe it's not about race at all. Maybe you say things like, all police officers are bad. Or all people who use this hashtag are evil. Or all Democrats or all Republicans, they're the problem. Or maybe you think I'm better than somebody because I have a college degree or I'm better than somebody because of where I live or maybe I'm better than somebody because of where my kids go to school. To deny that we have some form of prejudice in our heart is probably more arrogant than any of us can afford to be. Why? Because we can't be a part of a solution until we acknowledge that there is a problem. Prejudice is a hurdle that needs to be acknowledged so that it can be destroyed. Why? Well, that leads to the second takeaway from the story. Prejudice is no small issue to God. You see, God stepped in over and over and over again in the book of Acts to redirect the church back towards interethnic ethnic evangelism, inclusion, and embrace. Jesus called the church. He says, I want you to make, make Christians of all nations, make disciples of all nations. The Greek word that he uses here literally means all ethnic groups. You see, through Jesus, God brought salvation to all people, every nation, every tongue, every tribe. He bridged the gap created by the things that separate us under the banner of the one thing that unites us all. And God's intervention, listen, it demonstrates his absolute refusal to bless a church that refuses to deal with this issue. Listen, I've debated sharing this story. I did it in the last service and, you know, it went okay. So I'm going to do it in this service too. But 15 to 20 years ago, I I was working part-time at a church. And I was working at this church that was a predominantly white church and a predominantly black and Hispanic community. Everybody was driving 45 minutes to come to church and to keep the church looking and worshiping and acting just like it had always done. I got involved as an 18-year-old youth pastor. I was a bull in a china shop, and I started to change things rather quickly, and not everybody liked that. Our church shrunk. And as a result, they got to the point where they couldn't hardly pay their bills, including my salary, $100 a week. And so they decided that They needed to have a conversation about this predominantly black church that was wanting to use the space on Sunday afternoons. And they were going to pay rent to use the space, which meant that that church could make ends meet. They could pay my $100 salary once again. But even more importantly, they would begin to reflect the community that was around them. We took a congregational vote. And when we took a congregational vote, I was 1,000% for it. One of the people from the church, they looked at me, they said, You realize you'll lose your job over this because they will take over. I said, Praise God if they keep reaching this community. But they actually made this comment. During the congregational vote, they said, We don't want those people worshiping with us. How heartbreaking is that? The reason I'm telling you this story is not to pick on the church but to highlight the fact that I've gone back and looked at that church 15 to 20 years later, guess what's happened? They have a black pastor that is leading that church to reach the community in powerful ways. You see, one by one, they had to sell off their vehicles. One by one, they had to sell off their possessions because God did not bless their attitude. And as a result, that church now reflects heaven and it is reaching the community right there around them. Let me tell you something, God will not bless a church that carries hate in their heart. God will not bless a church that carries hate in its heart because God has embedded his own image in every human soul. He created color and culture for the sake of diversity, not dominance. And he demands that we overcome the sin of racism in order to reflect his love for all people. Listen, this is a tense topic. I don't know if I'm the only one that can feel it right now. This is heavy stuff but this is important stuff that needs to be addressed. So the question then becomes, how do we overcome our biases in order to reach all people? How do we set the example and bridge the gap between different people groups? How do we exist as the church that God has called us to be right here in Milledgeville, Georgia? I believe there's four practical things we can do. These are biblical and these will change the way we tackle this issue in our community. The first one is this, we can listen. We can listen. We can seek to hear rather than be heard. We can seek to understand rather than be understood. James 119, it says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. You see, listening to somebody that has a different story, a different perspective, a different background produces empathy. What it does is it turns that person that you're talking to from a statistic into a person that is known and loved by God. Can I put feet on this? This is bonus, okay? This is extra. We all have phrases and terms that cause us to shut down on both sides of all the issues that we're facing in our world right now, okay? In order to overcome the challenges that we're facing in this area, we have to be willing to not get so inflamed by a word or phrase that we leave a conversation and don't listen to what somebody has to say just because they use it. You see, there's all kinds of words that cause the conversation to stop. You can have opinions. I can have opinions. But maturity demands that we clothe those opinions in humility and a willingness to listen. And that's what God's going to use to change the world. Second thing we can do. After we listen, we can learn. We can learn. You see, why you can't stand in another person's shoes, you can learn from their experiences. You can learn from their perspective, even if their experiences and perspective are different than your own. You see, learning from a humble posture validates others and it changes our outlook on things. I took my son to Hobby Lobby one time. This is a couple years ago. That's what men do, okay? We went to Hobby Lobby. We were on the Batman aisle, so it was fine. And we were looking at this, this poster and I said, Brantley, look, how cool is this? It's Batman. He said, that's not Batman, that's Joker. It's like, who am I raising here? That's Batman, I can see him. He's right there, it's the Dark Knight. He argued, he said, that's the Joker, that's not Batman. This went on for way longer than it should have until finally I reached over to grab him and as I glanced at the poster, I realized it changed pictures as you got closer and farther away <laughs> to it. Neither one of us was wrong. We were just looking at it differently. Listen, Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need each other's perspective so that we can learn, so that we can grow, so that we can change, and we can honor God with our attitudes. Listen, I must have listened to 40 different voices in preparation for this message. I watched a lot of people online. I had a lot of people that were sending me stuff. I talked to a lot of people. Here's the truth. listen. A lot of those people I agreed with and a lot of them I didn't, but every single one of them taught me something. That's got to be the goal, to learn from others' experiences, to learn from others' perspectives so that we can get better. It's the second thing you can do. The third is this, we can lament together. We can lament. Romans 12, 15 says this, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. You see, we are the body of Christ. And when one part of the body is hurting, we don't have to explain away the pain. Sometimes the most helpful thing we can do is we can be silent, we can listen, and we can cry with the people that are hurting. The greatest example I've ever seen of this was Andy Stanley from North Point Church in Atlanta. There had been a major world tragedy, a huge event that had happened, and he had been invited onto a secular radio broadcast. And they asked him, they said, how do you explain theologically what just happened? How can you justify this tragic event, giving your belief in God? And he said this, he said, I'm not going to do that right now. He said, right now isn't a time for that theological debate. Right now is a time to hurt with my friends that are hurting. Listen, that posture, regardless of opinions, changes the situation. When we say, listen, I don't know what you're going through, but I just want to be with you as you go through it. Here's the fourth thing we can do we can lead. After we've listened, after we've learned, after we've cried together, we can lead together. We can lock arms so that we can make change a reality. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 15, it says this, this is God speaking, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. Once we have sought and gained knowledge and understanding, we are morally obligated to use our influences our advantages, and our resources to bring about reconciliation, especially in the body of Christ. Listen, in one of his books, Mark Batterson, he tells the story of this group of missionaries. These missionaries were known as one-way missionaries because they knew that when they went to their destination, when they went to go share the love of Jesus with this people group, they weren't coming back. People died in this, this, this goal, and they, they packed their things in a coffin, not a suitcase, because they knew they would need it more when they got over there because they weren't gonna make it back. There's a man named A.W. Milne who was one of these missionaries, and he set sail for this location so that he could demonstrate and share the love of Jesus Christ. He knew that every single person that had done this before him had been killed by headhunters when they arrived at this location. Well, he wasn't afraid. He had already given his life to Jesus, and he was willing to do what Jesus had called him to do. And so he made it to his destination. And for 35 years, he served that group of people. He demonstrated God's love and he brought light into the darkness. Listen, when he died, after 35 years of ministry, this is what that tribe, that people group wrote over his headstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Man, what a powerful challenge for us. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Listen, our goal, our job as Christians, our responsibility is to shine light on the darkness and change the world as a result. This church has a reputation in this community. You see, when I was interviewing here four years ago, I went to all these different places so that I could hear what the community thought about Northridge Christian Church. I went to Walmart at 11 o'clock at night. I wanted to see what the community was really like. I talked to the people there, I talked to the people at the schools, I talked to the people who were serving me at the restaurants, and they told me a lot of good things about Northridge. They told me said, it's a good church, loves the community. But they also told me this, they said, that's the mixed church. That's the church where black people and white people are both accepted and loved. Man, that set my heart on fire. I was excited then and I am excited now, but let me tell you something. We need more than diversity on Sunday mornings. We need a vigilant, heartfelt drive to engage in difficult conversations, to overcome obstructive barriers, to cling to 1 John 2, 9 as the battle cry for how we interact with one another. We need a vigilant drive to bring light into the darkness. And when we lean on Christ, that's what he's going to do through us. It's a big challenge but I believe with God's help, we can make a difference right here in Baldwin County all the way to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, God, you give us a book that's as old as the Bible that speaks to our lives today, that challenges us to live different, to apply your truths, your heart to the situations going on right now. God, we just pray that you give us boldness, pray that you give us courage so that we can be light in this dark world. God, show us any place in our heart that is is touched by prejudice or racism or hatred of any kind. Help us to root it out and eradicate it, God, so that we can share your love with all the people that you put in our path. God, lead us to do this. Guide our efforts and make us successful. We pray all this in Jesus' name.